Welcome back, everyone, to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, I'm Alicia. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Excited about the continuation of the listener-suggested Season 7, Everybody Gets Lucky, our theme song this week. Who's that by? Uh, by another Trashy Divorces alum we covered many moons ago, Carly Simon, Legend in Your Own Time. Titles seem to fit our stories for this week. They do. They do. Two definite legends and a bromance to boot. Who have you got, Stacey? I have uh, the one and the only Albert Einstein, who, I mean, Birdie, we all know for just being a genius of a mathematician and physicist, his personal life was a garbage fire, and I hope you enjoy it. How about you, Alicia? Charlie Chaplin, Mm. four times married, three times divorced. Forced, legend in his own time, genius on one hand, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, possibly by our standards today, would be considered a pedophile. Wow. It's good times. Wow. Actually, I think possibly is overstating the... I, th- I think by today's standards, yes. Yeah. Before we get started on our legends this oh, week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's pull out the magic mirror and give some thanks to our new team, Trash Candy Folks on Patreon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Abigail G, Michelle, Cass J, CCB, Laura R, and Lacey S. Susan J, Lisa O, Alanda M, Liv Who N, and Pauline M across the pond. And we have some super supporters. Holy cats. Some upgrades. Thank you to Melissa B and Megan D, Thea S, and Christine H. You're the best. Team Trash Candy, y'all are the very best. Thank you for your continued support for all of the fun stuff we're doing over there. What did we do over there this week? We had our usual Trashy Tidbits on Mm -hmm. Tuesday. Ooh, I went into Trashy Tutors this week with a follow-up on Lady Jane Grey's sisters, Catherine and Mary. Mm Mm-hmm. The other Gray sisters, I believe you called that. That's mm-hmm. true. Uh, we did a Trashy Melodies this week. You have um, some Stevie Nicks. Oh, and her relationship with Lindsay Buckingham. And then her brief marriage and her friendship with Tom Petty with the little prince sprinkles thrown in. Yeah, it was, Stevie Nicks is just a goddess. There's no... Everyone's there's fairy no, godmother. Yeah, yeah. We love her. I need yeah. my emotional support witch. It's <laughs> funny. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, and if you would like to see sort of a selection of what we put up there, head to bit.ly slash trashcandyquarantine to find a whole bunch of stuff we pulled out from behind the paywall. Bunch of free stuff there if you want to check out what happens over on the Patreon. All right, Alicia, are you ready to get rolling with these legends? I think this episode is going to be legend, wait for it, dairy. Let's go, go, go. It's milk. (laughs) So, Stacy, this week you're going to tell us a story about how even big brains get trashily divorced sometimes. Uh, the biggest brain. <laughs> the biggest brain. Yeah, actually, yeah. Albert Einstein, this was recommended by listener Andrea H. I had no idea how complicated and trashy his personal life was. Alicia, I think you've probably heard of Albert Einstein, the wild-haired German mathematician and physicist whose likeness continues to appear on t-shirts and in pop culture, and whose musings continue to inform the thinking of generations alive today. He was instrumental in the development of modern physics, and to be honest, I think most people today bump into his ideas most commonly 
in science fiction, one of my loves. He was very much a rock star of his day, and apparently he enjoyed the ladies as much as any actual rock star does. Really? Oh yeah, his love life was a trashy mess for most of his life. And this is how we shall explore the life and times of one of the geniuses of the modern age, Albert Einstein. Young Albert was born March the 14th of 1879. Pisces. Pisces. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest of two children in a secular Jewish household in Ulm, Württemberg, Germany. Okay. His dad was an engineer and salesman, and along with Albert's uncle, started a company that mass-produced electrical equipment. Interesting. When he was a baby, the family moved to Munich, where this company would be founded. They would later like fall into hard times because of the alternating current direct current controversy of the day, which was controversy. like controversy Tesla and the other guy, the light bulb guy, Edison, that guy, <laughs> the, it, the, it, light he, bulb guy. the light bulb guy. <laughs> I mean, he invented a lot of things. It turns out there's a town in New Jersey named for him. <laughs> okay. Baby Albert had some developmental delays. In particular, he did not acquire language on time. He was delayed enough that the family saw a doctor about it. But it was like 1880. What are they going to do? So, whatever. I guess they advised them not to kill the baby. and Keep the baby alive. See what happens. Keep washing it. Keep feeding them. Yeah, he was otherwise healthy. So sometime after the age of two, he finally started speaking. But he was weird about it. He, he still had trouble with it. The family maid began to refer to him as, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but der Deperte, or like the stupid one, the dopey one, because Aww. what this poor little kid would do, he was still like working language out. So if he was going to say something, he would whisper it to himself first. Oh, interesting. And then say it out loud. So huh. like, yeah, so he got made fun of a little bit. He had some challenges, but he also had a strong rebellious streak. He was, I think, also a very funny child. Deep antipathy to authority, so I'm sure he was, like, making, like, I'm sure he put some school administrators in a in a red-faced fury. And as you can imagine, German schools in the 1880s and 1890s were not exactly laboratories for the flowering of unique snowflakes. Rebel yell! Yeah, Albert got himself kicked out of at least one school. Oh, my. Um, another headmaster made an assessment for the history books. When he declared that Albert Einstein, quote, would never amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Not like that light bulb guy. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> I want to call him Birdie. No one in his life, I think, called him Birdie. But I, as I was writing this, I was like, can I just call him Birdie? I don't know. It feels weird. When he was five. Oh, now you're concerned about making up new names for people? Seven seasons in is the time that you decide. It's Albert Einstein. Hug dispenser. Okay, hug dispenser was... When he was five, his dad gave him a compass, and Albert would spend the rest of his life considering magnetism. Like, that just invisible power, invisible effect, like... Magic. Physics. Science is cool, man. Okay, when he was five or six, he started playing the violin, which he developed a lifelong passion for. It would not be his only passion. By 10, a medical student friend of the family was bringing him science and math books, and by 12, he was teaching himself algebra and Euclidean geometry. Of course he was. 
does. He wrote a proof of the Pythagorean theorem the same year, and he began to believe that he could conceptualize nature as a mathematical structure. That, I think, is like the soul of physics. Is like, ah, the universe is comprehensible if I just know enough math. That's what I'm saying. Like, conceptualizing nature, conceptualizing the universe in a mathematical model, that, I mean, that is the core of what physics is sacred geometry yeah it's all it's all math Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. love it yeah i mean as like non-physicists who don't hold like science degrees (laughs) we're both like i mean it's basically magic and and it is to us science is magic it it is yeah Yeah. okay so while he completed his secondary school education in switzerland he lodged with a professor at the school and he fell in love with the professor's daughter, Marie. Aww. She was a year or two older, and there's surviving correspondence of love letters between them, dating to uh, April of 1896 when he was 17. The courtship lasted about a year. Then he went to Zurich to attend Zurich Polytechnic, and he would meet the woman who would become his baby mama. But and, not wife? And then later his wife. Oh! What? Albert Einstein, what? <laughs> Birdie? <laughs> Birdie? Let's meet Mileva Merich, the daughter of a wealthy family of the Austro-Hungarian monarchy, modern-day Serbia. Born December 19th, 1875, Sagittarius. She may have contributed to Einstein's 1905 flurry of world-changing work. She was an exceptionally bright student as a kid. Her father got a special exemption that allowed her to enroll at the all-male Royal Classical High School of Zagreb, uh, which she started in 10th grade. This is like advanced math, physics. Like she was, she was getting um, like an elite boy's education. She's super smart. Yes. She had some kind of illness and ended up going to Zurich to attend a girl's high school. I find that right. I see the look on your face. Really? Goes to a boy's school, has an illness, and then gets shipped to another country to go to a girl's school. For a particular period of time? Don't know. Interesting. Interesting. So she started classes at Zurich's Polytechnic School at the same time that Albert did, Bertie. (laughs) She was the only woman in their section, like the physics. They were all training to become professors of physics and mathematics. So it was like the teaching diploma program, whatever. The nerdiest wing in the college. (laughs) There were six of them. (laughs) She was the only woman, and she was only the fifth woman ever to be accepted into this program. Oh, wow. So when you think of Mileva marriage, think glowing orbs of brains, and Albert took a liking to her immediately. So by 1901, she was pregnant. I like your sexy brain. Oops. Yeah, they were not married at the time. Uh, His parents did not approve of the relationship, so she went back to Zagreb. Is that Serbia? She went back to Serbia. Spent the pregnancy with her family. There's a lot of correspondence. Apparently, the world didn't know that this baby had been born until like the 1980s when a cache of letters what was released. What um, happened to the... She didn't raise the baby? So it's thought that the baby either like died of scarlet fever as an infant. Oh. Or perhaps was put up for adoption in Serbia at the time. It, Interesting. It's, there's like a letter or two that mentions her. In any case, Maleva would return to Zurich, sans baby, and the pair would marry in 1903 following the death of Albert's dad. 
Oh. No more disapproving father in the way, so down the aisle they march. This was not the joyful union one might have hoped for. Why not? Thank God for surviving letters. This is what Albert wrote to his, I think, soon-to-be wife. He writes, A, you will see to it, this is like A, period, you will see to it, parentheses, one, that my clothes and linen are kept in order, two, that I am served three regular meals a day in my room. No. B. In my room? B. You will renounce all personal relations with me, except when those are required to keep up social appearances. You will expect no affection from me, and you must leave my bedroom or study at once without protesting when I ask you to. Hey, Sheldon Cooper. I mean, probably not entirely wrong. So... That's my spot. It's my spot. (laughs) Wow. Not the warm and fuzzy Einstein that we might have thought of with all those fun pictures of his, of his like wonky hair sticking his tongue out all happy. This is the period where Einstein worked in the patent office by day and wrote papers that redefined mankind's understanding of the universe by night. So historians will forever debate the extent to which, if any, uh, Maleva contributed to her husband's thinking during this time while he's working these through. There is apparently some evidence that she contributed at least as a sounding board, and it's hard to think otherwise. She attended the same physics school he did. Well, is she allowed in the room right now or <laughs> well, not? Well, that's the question, right? Because we've also got this, like, instructions for how to be my wife that I I don't know. So, we will never know. Anybody have that on their trashy bingo card? Because, yeah. wow. 1905, when Albert is just 26, he publishes four papers that changed the world. In the first, he created a new paradigm for understanding how light interacts with matter by proposing the existence of light quanta, what we now call photons, rather than understanding light as continuous waves. So this provided an explanation for the photoelectric effect, which I am not competent to explain, so enjoy your Wikipedia-ing. <laughs> The second provided mathematical models through which to understand Brownian motion or the random motion of particles in fluid or gas. And this was a big chunk of evidence that atoms and molecules exist. So that seems important. Wow. Third, this is the one that everyone's heard of and it's just too complicated to really understand. Special relativity. Special relativity demonstrates the relationship between space and time, and it updated the Newtonian model of motion to accommodate higher velocities. Not gonna lie, most of this is way beyond me, but for sci-fi fans, there are a few things that show up a bunch in, in our popular media. So, first, the theory posits that as an object, like your hero's starship, approaches the speed of light, the ship's mass will become infinite making it impossible for the ship to travel faster than light does. And you can never actually get there because you can't, because infinity is impossible. Anyway, it's, it's a thing. So it's the universal speed limit. And this has led to a ton of plot devices and fiction around hyperspace drives and all of that. And, you know, wormholes, which is another thing that Einstein worked on um, in the 30s, which come later. Just, you know, like... All good science fiction relies pretty heavily on on Einstein's work here. 
This would also lead to the field of quantum physics, which Einstein himself was not certain of. And he has a famous quote, God does not play dice with the universe, which was kind of pushed back on this like, okay, I know, I know what I do is write mathematical models of the world, but what you're, the mathematical models you're making are deeply unsettling to me. So that's, quantum mechanics is strange. That is a lot of science. My brain is kind of buzzy right now. All right, back to Einstein's wonder year. His Annus Mirabilis, I'm probably saying that wrong. Even weirder, special relativity posits that time is relative and that time flows differently based on the speed that an object is moving. So this is why your sci-fi protagonist might arrive back to Earth after like a quick shipboard mishap, resulting in a short duration to her high-velocity experience, only to find that everyone she ever knew has grown old and died, and her adult grandchildren are quite interested to meet her. That comes up a lot in sci-fi. The fourth paper defined the equivalence of mass and energy and gave us the most famous equation in mathematics, E equals MC squared. Yep. Okay, so this equation tells us that energy is the equivalent of mass times the speed of light squared. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, and you usually would express that in meters, I think. The number is ginormous, and so what this means is that any anything that contains mass also contains tremendous quantities of energy, which leads us to splitting the atom and takes us into the atomic age. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Einstein. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Uh, done with science. 1905 did not just secure Albert's entry into science and academics. It genuinely changed and continues to change the world. His days laboring at the patent office, over. And soon he was a professor who traveled often to lecture on his work. Maleva, who had given birth to Hans Albert Einstein in 1904 and would have son Edward in 1910, was a dutiful wife and mother, but unfortunately, Albert, while apparently a decent father, was a dirtbag when it came to women. So he begins corresponding with his first girlfriend, Marie, again, telling her during, oh, no. <gasps> during Maleva's second pregnancy, quote, I think of you in heartfelt love every spare minute and am so unhappy as only a man can be. Oh, he's just got the the roam the roaming oh. eye he's just bored he's 31 yikes he's a leading mind in science he's been married for seven years he's bored he's entitled he wants you might he wants. like your wife better if you let her in the room dude never <laughs> i am as unhappy as only a man can be oh my God. all right drama yeah decades later and like i think in the early 50s he would advise a friend who had learned of her husband's affair not to take the cheating personally writing to her quote i am sure you know that most men as well as quite a number of women are not monogamously endowed by nature i'm not even sure i disagree with that but i do think like being honest is a really good policy agreed <laughs> You don't have to be monogamous, but don't, like, abuse your partner's feelings. <laughs> okay. All right, Albert. Birdie. 1912. Oh. Oh. This is bad. Albert Einstein had reconnected with his cousin, Elsa. Oh. Elsa Lowenthal. Oh. And the two would begin an affair that would last for years before they finally married. What? Fun facts about Elsa. She is both his first and his second cousin. What? Excuse what? What? 
Okay, Elsa's mother was Albert's aunt, his mother's sister. Oh, my. So first cousins. They're first cousins, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, her- wait, wait. This is the dude who wrote a paper on special relativity? <laughs> and he's dating his first cousin? Well, his first and his second cousin. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, Elsa's father oh, no. was Albert's father's first cousin. Oh, God. I... So, so their dads were brothers? Is that how that works? Tell me it again. Uh, Elsa's father was Albert's father's first cousin. If they're first cousin because their mothers are sisters, then their dads are first cousins because they're whatever. Um, anyway, first cousin and second cousin on each side. The family tree does not branch, okay? It's just a log. <laughs> just a stick. Overlapping Venn diagram. <laughs> It's a perfect circle. Okay. Wow. Yes. Um, to seal the deal, to just show how... It's not just like Sunday dinner. You got to do more than Woo! show up. Um, more fun. Elsa was born. Elsa Einstein. Oh, God. Which would have made the paperwork super easy if she had not had a first marriage to a guy named Max Lowenthal. Save somebody a pile of work at the courthouse. You're so right. So Elsa was born January 18, 1876, Capricorn, in, gonna mispronounce this as Heckingen, Germany. It's probably something close to that. She married Max when she was 20. He was from Berlin, where the couple would move in 1902. They would have three children. Uh, the last was a son born in 1903 who died soon after birth. But their daughters, Ilsa and Margot, survived. Uh, Margot would become a sculptor and live into the 1980s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Elsa's marriage to Max obviously was not built to last, and in 1908, she divorced him and moved into an apartment in Berlin. From Albert's perspective, because the affair was going so well with his cousin after 1912, in 1914, he took a position at Berlin University and moved his wife and sons (gasps) to Berlin. No. It did not take Maleva long to realize that Albert's super cousin was not just his cousin (laughs) at all. So she took the boys and headed back to Zurich within the year. Strange that she didn't like Berlin. How uncomfortable is that family dinner? Oh. With the branch. Just Just the one. Just wait. Twig. Wow. They would divorce in 1919 after a five-year separation. Okay. With his anticipated earnings from winning the Nobel Prize used as the cash settlement to provide for her and the boys. Think about that. Hey, Mr. Big Brain, like not only do you expect to win the Nobel Prize at some point, you expect it to be soon enough that it matters. I can put this in my divorce settlement because I'm going to have this cash coming in. He did, in fact, win the Nobel Prize for physics in 1921. It was awarded. There was some kind of bureaucratic mishap and he didn't get it until 22. But yeah, so he got the prize. They couldn't give it to him for special relativity because that was so mind-blowing that it was not yet fully embraced. Because he married his double cousin, Natch. That's not... <laughs> so he got it for for his services to theoretical physics, but especially for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect. So, like, kind of the least interesting thing that he produced in 1905 was what he got... More interesting than that light bulb guy. Apologies to physicists out there. Maybe I'm misstating how interesting. (laughs) Quarks. I'm just, 
Okay. So his his acceptance speech was all about special relativity, though. Um, <laughs> I will never think of that the same way again ever, as long as I live. <laughs> my work here is done. All right. When Albert and Elsa married in 1919, it was not a foregone conclusion oh, that God. they would become man and wife. Oh. Albert wrote at the time, quote, The attempts to force me into marriage come from my cousin's parents and is mainly attributable to vanity. Though moral prejudice, which is still very much alive in the old generation. So I'm pretty sure that when he says my cousin there, he means my girlfriend. Different times, yo. Different times. Oh, it just gets worse. Albert also apparently had an eye for Elsa's older daughter, Ilsa. No! (gasps) Nobody! No, 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 no. At one point, he gave serious consideration to ending his engagement to the mom. So he could propose to the daughter. <gasps> she was 20. Oh. He has that going for him. Later, Elsa would learn that Albert had an affair with a close friend of hers. And since people back then spilled all kinds of tea in letters, we know that Albert responded to his wife's unhappiness about God, I it. I bet this is going to be appropriate. By writing, <laughs> quote, one should do what one enjoys and won't harm anyone else. Ah. Well, She's letting you know that she feels harmed. I do not accept that. Mr. Big Brain. Would you put that in your big brain? Cogitate on it. Wow. Okay. October 1933, he, Elsa, and the girls have visited the United States several times now. They return after the Nazis took power in Germany and essentially declared him an enemy of the state for being a Jewish genius. Uh, He took a position at Princeton, which he would hold until his death in 1955. Elsa would go to France in 1934 to nurse Elsa, who did not marry her stepfather, through her death from cancer. And when uh, Elsa came home to Princeton in 1935, she was soon after diagnosed with heart and kidney disease. Oh, no. Albert's coping mechanism was to withdraw into an even more rigorous scientific inquiry. Oh, my. Through his wife's death in 1936. Wow. Although friends report that he was demolished by her death. First wife, Mileva Marich, had a tough road ahead after their 1919 divorce. In 1930, when son Edward was about 20, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and required substantial and expensive treatment for the remainder of his life. Ah, that's tough. Yeah, it... From what I can tell, Albert definitely helped financially, but, like, he couldn't really go back like he couldn't go to europe and visit because the nazis like burned his books they stole his sailboat they put they stole his house and turned it into a hitler youth camp no Mm -hmm. (sighs) anyway so yeah he was he he provided for edward to a greater or lesser extent i don't think that maleva had a particularly happy because then the war broke out right like just sucks. So she died in 48 in Zurich. There, There's at least one monument to her. The house where she lived is, uh, I don't know if it's a museum or just a, there's a marker. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, Edward lived the remainder of his life in an institution, dying in 1965. Hans, the other son, um, he followed in his parents' footsteps to attend Zurich Polytechnic. Wikipedia says that his doctoral thesis, titled Bedload transport as a probability problem is considered the definitive work on sediment transport. Fantastic. 
It's got to be a huge deal for a very small but freakishly intelligent subset of humans. Get right on that sediment transport. It's probably pretty interesting. Okay. 1938, uh, he immigrates to America like his dad, and he became a highly regarded USDA scientist and a professor of hydraulic engineering at the University of California, Berkeley. Fantastic. He died in 1973 in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Margot Einstein, daughter of Elsa, stepdaughter of Albert, was part of the large like familial and emigre contingent who lived at their home in Princeton for decades after it was purchased in 35. There was Albert's sister, Maja, Maha, I'm not sure. She died in 1951. Albert, again, died in 1955. And then Margot, along with Albert's secretary, Helen Dukas, who was another German emigre who had been, like, she'd been his secretary since the 20s and moved and, like, emigrated with them. They lived there until the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah, Helen had been willed the all of the literary rights to his um, manuscripts all of the royalties all of the copyrights all like she was basically in charge of his commercial estate i guess and she co-wrote a biography of him anyway she died in 82 margot died in 86 the home is a private home but it's also a historic landmark so like you can't go tour it but it's a it's a historic landmark fascinating okay trash cans Oh my. For Albert Einstein. I know this I, is hard. This is very tricky. Special relativity. Okay. So I could give him an infinitely dense trash can moving at the speed of light. <laughs> I could give him a brand new trash can that's a million billion years old after traveling at close to the speed of light for just a few minutes from its own perspective. We could number the trash cans based on the number of photons revealing them. Or declare that Heisenberg's uncertainty principle means that we can know the number of trash cans, but we cannot know their size. Is or this like Schrodinger's trash cans? We can know their size, but we can't ever know how many trash cans there are. So I will not play dice mm-hmm. with Albert Einstein's many trash cans. Just know they exist, but probably as a mathematical model. Well done. <laughs> that was a lot of science. There's a lot of stuff in there. As a as a much younger person, I loved reading about physics. I've never heard that trashy story about Albert Einstein before. Oh no 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 no! I never Birdie. knew any of full that. Full of surprises. Full of surprises. No, but like it was fun to dig back in and be like, wait, no, I remember this, and like some of the paradoxes that he was able to resolve, and then later in his career, some that he was able to point out. Thank you. Andrea H. for suggesting that extremely fun trip through the life and times and trashy, trashy loves of Albert Einstein, boy genius. Well done. That was amazing. Let's take a quick break and uh, see on the flip for a story that's oddly connected to that. Yeah, yeah. One of of Bertie's friends, actually. Chuck. Chucky. Okay. Chucky C. Back in a minute. Mm -hmm. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. 
This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Alicia, you have a friend of my subject. Is that true? That is true. And they maybe had a little too much in common for our tastes. This week, friends, so much trash. I've got a legend in his own time, and I'm going to go ahead and put him up there. He's a trashy divorces all-star. This one was recommended by Courtney Kay. I know a few other people have recommended this one, too, but I can't find who you are, and I'm sorry if you did. But Courtney Kay, you rock. The little tramp Charlie Chaplin is quite a tramp. Married four times total. Hmm. Three divorces, 11 kids, lots going on this week. With the real summary being two things. Number one, Charlie Chaplin had a horrible childhood. It is filled with trauma with a capital T. But Charlie Chaplin overcame his traumatic childhood to make something of himself and his talent. At one point, Charlie Chaplin will say, He's more popular than Jesus Christ. That gets said quite a bit by yeah. people who should like, know no, better. John Lennon said that, but uh-huh. no, Charlie, Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin said it first. Repetitions. I mean, no. I, I think Henry VIII may have said that at one point, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe no one wrote it down. Point number two. Charlie Chaplin also groomed young girls and was a pedophile. Oh, God. Okay. I want you to go back into your mind. Into the movie Dazed and Confused and see Matthew McConaughey's character. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right yeah. yeah. Quote, that's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older. They stay the same age. Oh, no. This is the best modern day representation I can find because Charlie Chaplin has a type. And they're young. They're real young. Eek. Old Charlie, Chucky C., was born April 16th, 1889, Charles Spencer Chaplin. He's an English boy. Also born in the cusp of power. Charlie's dad is a drunk, leaves before Charlie's one. Spiraling mom and Charlie and his brothers into abject poverty. But also kind of an education because mom is a performer. And Charlie will say he learned his skills watching her do housework. When Charlie's five, mom's performing one night, she can't sing, and Charlie gets, like, shoved out on stage and does the thing for her and finishes her song and, like, brings down the house. Mom can't sing because she's having an off night. Mom is lapsing into mental illness. By 1895, mom is committed to an asylum where now all the kids are back with dad, but dad is such a bad drunk, the authorities are called in to get the kids because of the entire unsuitability of that situation. Imagine being such a bad drunk in 1895 that the cops are coming by. to In the east fucking end of London. Like, <sighs> okay, it's bad. Charlie's dad dies when he's 11. And now mom's back in the picture, but only briefly, because she's going to relapse into her mental illness. So by early 
not even a teenager, like 10, 11. Charlie's on his own. He's yeah. sleeping rough. Yeah. This, He's taken. This kid is not being set up for success. No. Every job he can to survive. He's going to have some stage spots that go well enough, like he's a struggling actor. I mean, can we say at least it built character? <laughs> Sounds so like many no. characters. Sounds like the answer is no, though. Well, it built a character that he has this really odd dichotomy relationship with. We'll talk about it. By the time Charlie's 19, he'll find a gig. He's got a minor role in this uh, troupe, uh, Fred Carno's vaudevillian troupe touring that... okay. Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy is working mm-hmm. with Charlie at the time. Like, they're big buddies. Yeah. And uh, not only will this begin Charlie's real career, it will also begin the manifestation of his very young manic pixie dream girl type. There's a girl in the company. Irish lass. Her name is Hetty Kelly. She's a little younger. She's like 15. So Charlie's 19, so probably the most age-appropriate relationship Charlie's going to have for a while. And them do a lot together. Like, Charlie writes, like, we talked five times, but she influenced my life forever. He loves her. He loves her. And he will continue to cast her memory as the type in every single thing he does in his films and his personal life for the rest of time. Because Hetty and Charlie don't end up together. Charlie's going to head to America to make his fame and fortune. And by 1912, he's in America. He hooks up with this dude called Mac Sennett. Mac runs Keystone Films. And silent movies are such a thing. And they Mm -hmm. are, like, we're making a silent movie every day around this place. We need actors. So Charlie Chaplin is getting paid $150 a week in 1912, which is extraordinary. And probably the bigger deal out of this, Charlie gets to see himself on film. So he's been on the stage and he never knew what he looked like. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. And now he can see what he looks like and improve and hone his performances and get better. It's like being able to work in front of a mirror all the time. He is. Charlie's going to make something of himself. Mm -hmm. By 1914, He has created the Little Tramp character, and his career is on. The Little Tramp is a hit. And in 1914, he leaves Keystone. He signs with a new company called SNA for $1,250 a week and a $10,000 signing bonus. And the Mutual Films is like, dude, we can do better than that. How about we give you $10,000 a week? And Charlie Chaplin's like super cool. He is the highest paid actor in show business gobs of cash. So much is made about this at the time. He, Charlie Chaplin, is richer than Woodrow Wilson. He's richer than the president. Wow. Okay. So Woodrow's making like $75,000 a year as president, which is like $1.7 million in today-ish money. Charlie Chaplin is making $670,000 a year. Which is like 16-ish million. Wow. So that also tells me we haven't really kept the presidential salary up with inflation, <laughs> which is fine. I mean... Not at all. It's not like we're running the risk of electing poor people. Okay. Also, another fun thing here in 1915, Charlie Chaplin is going to be in San Francisco one day and enters a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. You're kidding me. And loses. <laughs> well, he gets third prize. 
but nobody ever realizes that it was actually him in the Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. It's fascinating. All right. Dude's super talented with expression and body and movement. And holy cats, like Charlie can play any string instrument. He's self-taught. He plays by ear. Immensely talented. By 1917, Charlie is out of that contract and he's formed his own studio. Like he's not even 30 years old. And he has America handled. Which is probably the time to go back and get the girl you love, Hetty. But Hetty got married to somebody else. And Charlie isn't going to find out until 1921 on a return trip back to England that Hetty died in 1918 in the Spanish influence. Oh, there's a trashy divorces bingo card, bingo spot. Yeah. Spanish Spanish flu. flu. So Charlie's going to be looking for Hetty for the rest of his life and every other child that he manipulates. But he has already manipulated one by this point in 1921. One, let's talk about child wife number one, Mildred Harris. She's a child star, Mildred is, from the age of 10. Uh, When she meets Charlie, she's 16 to his, you know, almost 30 when they meet at a party. And uh, I use the term loosely here, date, for Mm. a few months. Okay, so I know it's hard to use today's standards and apply those to previous times, but she's a child. The law then and now absolutely states that children do not have the ability to give consent their children. I get a little ruffled about this. Today we would call this statutory rape. Yeah. Okay. Statutory rape is actually what Charlie Chaplin is concerned about. When a 16-year-old Mildred says, hey, guess what, Charlie, I'm pregnant. What do you do about... That in 1920-whatever. Well, in 1918, October 23rd, twice her age, Charlie Chaplin will marry Mildred. So, you know, he doesn't go to jail. Sure. And it turns out that Mildred was maybe just saying she was pregnant because there is no baby. (laughs) And this makes Charlie Chaplin really angry. And Who's who's grooming who there, Charles? Well, he determines from this point on to make her life miserable, Um, which he does. He's abusive mentally, for sure. Mildred will get pregnant, deliver his first son in 1919 with a real pregnancy this time. But sadly, that child lives for three days. Mm. Mildred hates that Charlie works so much. And uh, being married to a man twice your age, like, not a lot in common. The marriage was kind of done before the kid but definitely done with the passing of the child. And the death of this child is said to be one of the inspirations for Charlie's next coming film called The Kid, which will change, like, make him even more and change the next dynamic for the next decade. For our purposes, it will change both of their statuses to divorced on November 13th, 1920, when Charlie's marriage number one is done. Mildred will continue to work in entertainment, but will suffer from a pretty severe alcohol addiction, which will affect her health. She will pass away at the age of 43 in 1944. That is terribly young. So by 1920, Charlie Chaplin is hot. He is a certified millionaire many times over. He's ditched all the other studios and will go on to form his own United Artists with his friend Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks 
which we talked about all of this in a Dirty Digs back from May we of this year on Patreon. Did. They were neighbors and there was like a tunnel connecting their homes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating. The Charlie Chaplin murder tunnel or something? I don't know. Oh, hold on. Oh. Pirate burial treasure oh, tunnel. Perfect. Hold on. God's story has everything. Things are happening for Charlie. Early 20s. No time for love. There's a fortune to make. So the divorce happens with Mildred, 1920. The kid comes out, 1921. It's all happening, including wife number two, Lita McMurray. Lita is legit California royalty. Her family has been in California for generations. She's the grandniece of a governor of California. There are a lot of important people in her family. Lita meets Charlie for the first time when she is six years old. This would have been like 1914-ish. Charlie Chaplin would have been 25. Lita will meet Charlie again at the age of 12, where Charlie Chaplin's like assistant, director, friend, and maybe purveyor of girls. And uh, Charlie Chaplin are walking down the street one day and they see Lita playing. And dude's like, hey, Charlie, this is a girl I was telling you about. This is 1920. And Charlie Chaplin is casting for the kid. So he's like, hey, kid, you're cute. Do you want to be in movies? And Lita's like, I need to ask my mom. So she goes and her mom comes down and the deal's done. So Lita gets cast as the flirting angel in The Kid. She's 12. Charlie's 32. I don't know what happens exactly. (laughs) Uh, Nothing good? But through the story, like through the, if there is a through line, it does appear like a whole lot of grooming But Lita's going to pop back up around 1924 for his next film called The Gold Rush. Lita by now is 16. Charlie is 36. And taking another swing at a statutory rape charge, which will also cause Charlie to marry Lita, this time tromping down the aisle November 26th, 1924. So what's fun about this particular week in November 1924? Not only is Charlie needing to get married for the whole statutory rape thing. The week before that, Charlie was on the infamous yachting trip on the Oneida, belonging to William Randolph Hearst, with another guest named Thomas Ince, who will be dead by the end of that boating weekend. You've mentioned this in earlier stories. and For real. we I've been... I love this story. So close to this story for so long. We did an episode on this, and I put it on the bit.ly.trashcandy okay. quarantine link. It's from February 28th of 2019 about that whole story. So maybe Charlie needs to get out of a little bit of trouble because, you know, murdered the weekend before. Uh, why Why the rush to marry? Ooh. Lita's going to give birth May of 1925. Mm. She is recast in the gold rush. Because Charlie will take a long time on making his films. Because she's pregnant Mm -hmm. during the filming. And then she gets pregnant again. Jeez. Another kid follows in (laughs) March of 1926. So she's had two kids. May of 25, March of 26. Two babies in quick succession. This marriage with Lita and Charlie is done by November 26. It takes two years. Like, I don't know what the word for worse than acrimonious is, but this one is super bad. It is a long and public divorce. I think it's called a trashy divorce. 
Charlie will not even write about the divorce in his 1964 book. He's protecting his kids, he says. Lita will talk. She writes two books in her lifetime. And from this time period, there was an amazing interview I saw with her. She was older and has forgiven much about that time, but her insights are just fascinating. Lita says, I didn't have a social life. I had two kids in two years, and Charlie was really into his work. He was a genius, but he doesn't think odd things compared to other people. This one time, Charlie will approve a party that Lita can give at the Biltmore one night for, you know, teenagers. They're playing records, and Lita has a great time, and everybody has fun, and she takes everybody, you know, all the teenagers back to her house. And uh, Charlie Chaplin, like, kicks him out like dad. She's like, his superiority and how he was just dad-like. Lita will go on to say that Charlie's real love was with the character that he created and that anything that appeared to threaten that would be cut out of his life. Hmm. It brings out the, if you threaten the little tramp, if you threaten his character, it brings out the worst in him. Lita files for divorce in 1927. Lita is going to accuse Charlie of trying to force her to have an abortion, as well as sex acts that cannot be spoken of in public, Hmm. which leaves much to the imagination. Surprise, surprise, so no legal documents were ever filed. The suit is settled out of court, probably to protect some of those lewd and lascivious acts that Lita refers to in 1928. Lita will get $600,000, which is about $9 million in today's dollars. It was astronomical for sure, the time. Sure, sure. I mean, if you're married to somebody who is deeply committed to protecting their brand... Pay up. You, yup. Yup. Second wife, over and out by 1928. Charlie's out a lot of cash to boot. And also has now developed a reputation as the poster boy for uh, loose morals. Mm. He's a two 16-year-old. Yeah. That's not good for your brand, Yeah, bro. Every year I get older and the girls just stay the same age. Also, talkies had started. So, again, threatening his character. His character doesn't talk. Talkies and Charlie Chaplin are not going to go together. Right. Hold up. Let me finish here with Lita. Lita will continue to work on the vaudeville circuit, travels all over the U.S., all over Europe, and in 1950 will become an agent, a talent agent, hoping to break her two boys into the business who aren't going to go her way in particular. But the last interview I saw, she's much older. She's mellowed a bunch. She has pleasant memories now, and I've been able to account for all the things that were not so pleasant. Hmm. Lita will pass away at the age of 87 in 1995. After a few more marriages, she lives quite a life. She is the longest living of Charlie's wives and is often interviewed about him. Right. In in the later years. Correct. Okay, jumping back in the story. So, talkies have started. Charlie Chaplin's like, I don't want to do talkies. The Depression. Charlie takes off in 1931 for a world tour. This is where he will meet Bertie Einstein. And uh, Mahdi Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think he invited Albert and Elsa to come to the premiere of whatever of his films was coming out then. 
He does. I got a whole follow up on the bromance of Charlie Chaplin and Chuck Chucky and Birdie. Sure. This week on Tuesday's Trashy Tidbits. But right, early thirties, the world is changing, and maybe Charlie is too. Because huzzah, his next marriage is going to be totally age appropriate. <laughs> Celebration is had throughout the land. Her name is Paulette Goddard. Sounds familiar. Paula Goddard's a really famous actress. Yeah, that would be why then. She is the one wife he has who is probably better known for her career oh. than actually being married to him. Because I had totally forgotten that Charlie Chaplin was ever married to Paulette Goddard until I researched this story. Which I've known. It's just Paulette Goddard. So Paulette and Charlie meet in the early 1930s. She was in her 20s already when they met. So great. Paulette is also already a divorcee. She married when she was 17 to a very wealthy, much older lumber tycoon in 1927. They're divorced by 1932, which is the year that Paulette will begin her relationship with Charlie. They start out as terrific friends, which will evolve into this love thing through the years. They buy a yacht together, entertain friends. Charlie has to have her in his new movie coming out called Modern Times. This becomes her first famous film role and will launch her career. She wants to be an actress. Charlie wants a wife. To celebrate the success of Modern Times, they go to the Orient together in 1936, which is when they say they were married. Although it's all a little smoke and mirrors through the haze, there's a lot of skepticism about this marriage actually being for real legal because no papers are ever found. Okay. But everybody's happy about the match. <laughs> Even the ex-wife Lita likes Paulette, gets along with her. Paulette is a terrific stepmom to the boys, and the boys really like Paulette. Like, things are taking okay. off for her. She's going well. Things are going great. She's going to star in a bunch of movies. She stars in The Women. Like, her career is taking off. She will appear in The Great Dictator, his 1940 film. But by that time, like, on the set, it's already fizzling. She wants a career. He wants a wife. And even Charlie cannot save the love that is gone. So pull out your bingo cards. 1942, they have been granted a Mexican divorce. And marriage and divorce number three, over and done. So, when you say granted a Mexican divorce, that is also kind of air-quoted since we don't know if they were actually... It's like their, it's like their overseas wedding. An oriental wedding. And perhaps... Mexican uh, yeah. divorce, yeah. Okay, okay. But here's the thing. These two are amicable enough. They're never enemies about it. They're just done with the love part. They remain friendly. Paulette Goddard will go on to marry two more times, one of those marriages to a time for like five years in the late 40s, being to Burgess Meredith. Hmm. Paulette will, again, have the most successful film career of all of his wives. Even though they're all actresses, uh, Paulette lives to the age of 75, dying in April of 1990. So this, technically... My beautiful trash pandas brings us to the end of Charlie Chaplin's trashy divorces. But I just can't leave some of these bits. Not in the Sunday episode. Again, lots more to talk about this week in Trashy Tidbits on Tuesday. 
But I'm going to do a few little sum-ups of the most excellent uh, trash candy here. Charlie Chaplin will marry for the fourth and final time. This time to an 18-year-old no. named Una O'Neill. How old is he? 54. 11 billion. Okay. Every year I get older and these high school girls just stay the same age. Una O'Neill is the daughter of the famous playwright Eugene O'Neill, who when Una marries Charlie Chaplin, Eugene O'Neill will never speak to his daughter again. Also, Una O'Neill is a dead ringer for Natalie Merchant. Oh, you showed me pictures. I showed you a picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100,000% Natalie Merchant, lead singer, 10,000 Maniacs, and Una O'Neill, twinsies. So Charlie is 53 in 1943. <laughs> Una's 18. They get married. Oh, my. Charlie has been on an underage Una since he split with Paulette a few years ago, even before the divorce was finished. But Una and Charlie, that marriage lasts until his death at the age of 88 in 1977. Okay, so that was a long marriage. Super long marriage, 1943 to 1977. Yeah, super long. They have eight kids. Charlie Chaplin will say she is the best thing to ever happen to them. Again, so much stuff on Tuesday about this because it's a happy-ish marriage. It's not a trashy divorce. But here's the best story. They're going to settle in Switzerland from 1953 to the end of his life for McCarthyism and being a cop. Like, there's a billion things that happen. But Charlie and Una take off for Europe in the 1940s. But... Charlie Chaplin has never become an American citizen or bothered to update his passport from 1912 when he first came over to America. Oh, my God. So they go to Switzerland and he can't get back in the country. None of that is even a big deal. It's just the setup for this story, which is a trashy legend, is that Uno will come back and dig up the buried millions in gold coins in his backyard in the secret tunnels. He tells Una to cash them out for $1,000 bills. And Una will sew those $1,000 bills in her mink coat and fly back over to Switzerland to reunite with her husband and his pirate treasure. Isn't that fun? Like, how legend is that? Like, is that probably true? Yes, Oh, my God. Like, it's talked about, but I've got... We're going to follow... I'll, I'll talk about it on Tuesday, sure. but I just couldn't leave that out. Right. No, I'm you glad you didn't. You have millions of dollars sewn in $1,000 bills in your mink coat. From buried treasure in a tunnel that connects you to Mary Pickard's house. Like, it has always been said that Charlie kept a million dollars in gold buried in his yard. Like Which, like we do. Like, kid, we all do. I keep looking like, for yours. Everyone does. That's a normal thing. Totally a normal thing. Well, as a kid in poverty, mm-hmm. no matter what I do, I I know in my head, I always have a secret stash of cash. Like, perfect, right? Yeah. It makes sense. But friends of theirs say, yeah, absolutely, this is true. Charlie will die at the age of 88 again in 1977, leaving Una, his widow, behind, who will never remarry. But also get involved in all the whole Swan thing and Truman Capote 
and Pamela Harriman and Slim Keith, which we're totally getting into in the future on Patreon, and I can't wait. Back to this story. Hmm. So let's lay out the facts. The ages of Charlie Chaplin's wives, when they marry him, 16, 16, 26, 18. It is in no way proper, and I feel kind of skeevy to assign any trash cans for divorces from children that you groomed. Dude, you are the trash can. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, fair. That just not going to do it. I could assign some trash cans to the divorce of Charlie Chaplin and Paulette Goddard, but it wasn't that trashy of a divorce. Sounds, yeah. It's amicable. They stay friends. They just want different things. And that breakup did not stop either of them from... Hell, we can't even find the papers to prove they were ever married. So maybe for the first time in the history of trashy divorces, I have not a trash can in sight to assign. What I hear you saying is they may have had some special relativity going on as well. (laughs) I mean, Charlie Chaplin is the trash can in this story. Sure. Genius of a talent. Super talented. Entirely trashy, too. Welcome to the show where we kill your heroes. (laughs) We can't help ourselves. And that's a wrap. We'll be back next Sunday with another week of your trash spectacular suggestions. Yes. And if you have suggestions, drop them into the pinned post in our Facebook group. Or email us at TrashyDivorces.com. Drop us an email. If you need more stories in the meantime, be sure to check out the pinned link in show notes for that bit.ly trash candy quarantine link. Mm -hmm. Bunch of free content on there. And... If you need more than that, you can join Team Trash Candy to get hundreds of extra episodes. Yep. True story. That's pretty much what we've got, I think. Thanks, Andrea H. Thanks, Courtney K. Mm-hmm. That was a hell of a week. That was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed yep. this week a lot. Yep. Hey, and U.S. listeners, wear a mask, wash your hands. All the rest of you listeners around the world, congratulations. Good We're job. jealous. Well done. We would like to go outside without fear. Until we talk to y'all again, everybody keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Keep that heart really trashy. See you next week, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all. <laughs>